You know, our theme this year is stretch. In other words, to go beyond where we are. It doesn't mean you're not doing well. It just means do better than you already are doing. If you're not doing well, do better. If you're doing well, do better. It's just about taking it further than we already are. And so I want to call us to stretch in a different way today. And that's what this sermon is about. And you'll see as we go along. Well, let me start with this. I read a true story about a couple of men from Canada who were driving home late one night. The weather was freezing, below zero. And somehow they got stuck in a ditch. As far as they could see, there was nobody out there. The snow was blowing, the wind was going, they couldn't see anything. So they started thinking, we're going to freeze to death. So they took the seats out of their car and set them on fire. And they sat around the seats of their car to keep warm. But then the fire started going out. So then they took all the other garments they had that they weren't wearing, put it on the fire so the fire could keep going. But eventually, the fire wore out as well. So then they thought, we got to burn our car. So then they torched the car, set the car on fire. So the car was on fire for pretty much all the night, and all of a sudden, daybreak came. And as daybreak came, they could look over the hill, and they saw a house over there. So they got up, and they went over to the house, knocked on the door. The people let them in, and that's where the police found them. And there's no catch or no joke to this story. That's just kind of what happened. Now, the odd part about the story is that they did not have to burn their car or anything else in the car. Why? Because they both had cell phones with service. You ask, well, why didn't they use their cell phone? And you ask, why didn't they use their cell phone? I have no idea why they didn't use their cell phone. But, I'm glad you asked that. They had communication devices that they didn't use that they could have used to help better their lives. So now the question for us today is this. Why don't Christians use the communication device we've been given by God to better our lives? That communication device of prayer. Why don't we pray more than we pray? Today I want to call us to stretch our prayer lives. Professor Larry Davies once told of a time that he asked his class, does God answer prayer? And the class immediately said, of course, and yes, and always. He paused for a moment, then he said, well, if that's true, then why don't we pray more often? There was an uncomfortable silence, kind of like right now. Then they began to speak up one after another. And two of the responses was this. I don't know how to pray. And the other one said, I don't know what to say. Now, that was their reasoning for why they didn't pray. I don't think that's accurate, but that was their reasoning. According to research done by a couple of polling organizations, 65% of Americans pray to God. But 28% of those said they have no faith. Dr. Jerry Paul, a man who gives sermons on prayers, his study on prayer habits and churches revealed that 85% of people who pray regularly do not expect to have their prayers answered. Now, if 65% of Americans pray, why on earth would they pray if they don't believe anything's going to happen? Well, sometimes people don't feel worthy enough to have their prayers answered. Sometimes people think they're not important enough 
to have their prayers answered. Look over in James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Sometimes when people read that, they say, oh, I'm not righteous enough. So I'm going to ask the preacher to pray for me. So I'm going to ask the deacons to pray for me. And they're asking everybody else to pray for them instead of praying for yourself. So sometimes we think my prayers, they aren't even valuable enough to go before God. And of course, there's even a more dangerous reason why people don't pray. Because they feel like their request is too big for God. Or too unreasonable for God to answer. Now God understands the fear that we can have when it comes to prayer. So he introduces us to a man by the name of Elijah. And this is a guy who was fed by ravens. He was hungry. God sent ravens to feed him. He stood on Mount Carmel, and he prophesied against all the false prophets of Baal and Asherah. This is a guy that raised somebody from the dead. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. This is a guy who didn't die, but he was carried up in a fiery chariot. And all this being said, look at what God says in James 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us. You look at that, and that is a sermon in itself. Because we can look at all the things Elijah did and think he is so far out of my league. I am nowhere near that. But God says, no, 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 no. Elijah was a man just like you and me. Just like us. Elijah, one of the greatest men in the Old Testament, one of the greatest prophets of that age. And let's look how God introduces Elijah to us. Look in 1 Kings chapter 17. Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17. It's right before 2 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm trying to make it easy for everybody This is how God introduces Elijah in verse 1. He says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. He said, No, wait a minute. This is how God introduces the man we're supposed to be like? Yeah. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. So the question is, where is Tishbe? In Gilead. But nobody knows where it is who lives in Gilead. Scientists, scholars, everyone agree that Tishbe must have been such a small, insignificant place because even the people that lived near Gilead didn't have a clue of where Tishbe was. They say, well, so maybe he came from a very powerful, influential family. But again, all it says about Elijah, seven words to describe him, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. You look at that and you think, wow, but that's what it says six times about Elijah in the Old Testament. He's a non-important guy from a non-important city. So why would God, God choose this guy? 
Look over in Second Chronicles, just a couple of books after First Kings. Second Chronicles, chapter 16. We're going to read the first part of verse 9. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. So why would God choose an insignificant person from an insignificant place? Here's why. In verse 9 it says, For the eyes of the Lord reign throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for somebody, but he's not looking for some religious scholar that knows the Bible back and forth. He's not looking for somebody of great wealth, of great power. You come from a great prestigious family. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for somebody who says, I'm going to be fully committed to God. That is more important to God. He's not concerned about your money and your wealth and your family. He's looking for somebody that's willing to be committed to him. Christian writer Mary Kay Ash once said, God does not ask our ability or our inability. He asks only of our availability. Now, us, we get so confused thinking, look what I can do. This is what I can do for the Lord. This is what I can do. You probably could, but are you? He's more concerned about your availability to do things than the fact that you can't actually do them. I believe God picked Elijah because he wanted us to see what could happen when he took a nobody and turned him into somebody. Because that's you and me. The world doesn't really care much about us. But God cares a lot about us. So, what can we learn from Elijah's prayer? Well, let me give you some background first before we get into it. Elijah lived in a day of Israel was split into two different nations. Judah was to the south, and then there was the ten tribes of the north. Now, at that time, the king of the northern tribes was Ahab, and he was married to a Philistine woman by the name of Jezebel. And Jezebel and her influence on her husband had turned the nation into a pagan nation, those ten tribes. Yeah, they still prayed to Yahweh, but yet they also had the gods of Baal and Asherah. I mean, they would sacrifice children to these gods. They did despicable things before God. So Ahab was sent, I mean, Elijah was sent to Ahab to tell him, because of the sin you and the nation of Israel are in, it's not going to rain here for three and a half years as a punishment. And then he left. Well, then he comes back again. God says, okay, I need you to go back to Ahab. He's like, wait a minute, they're killing everybody. Go back to Ahab and let him know, okay, now it's time. Let's look over at 1 Kings chapter 18. So go back a little bit to the left in your Bible. 1 Kings 18, we're going to look at verse 20. So Elijah goes back and he tells the king, get all your prophets, get them, get the people, everybody, meet me on Mount Carmel. I have a message. And in chapter 18, verse 20, so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. You know, that's usually what happens when you confront somebody. 
Okay, you're talking all this stuff, but you live this way. Which one are you going to do? Either you're going to be for God or you're not going to be for God. Why don't you make a decision? And instead of making a decision, they just sit there and do nothing. But Elijah wasn't going to fall for that. Look at verse 25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a guy. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid any attention. And that's what the prophets did. They said, no, we're going to work some bell. Elijah said, do it. Let's see what happens. Show me your God, I'll show you my God. Then look what happened here in verse 50. I'm sorry, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he reported and he prepared the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one from each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seeds of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all the things you command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God! The Lord, he is God! Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. He said, show me your God and I'll show you mine. Dug a trench, water's all in the trench, fire came down. Not just burned the sacrifice, but even the water in the trench all got sucked up. And then he said, okay, now it's time to kill You know, this was an incredible story to show you what Elijah did. But then let's take the story to another level. Because we got to see what Elijah did and that was great. But now let's look at what God did, which is even greater. Look at verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is a sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. 
But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There was nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Elijah said, go tell Ahab, pitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, and a heavy rain came on Ahab, came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. They're on a chariot, they're going down, all of a sudden Elijah said, hold up. And outran the chair. Could you imagine that? You ride down trying to get away like, ooh. That's the first Usain boat ever. Now, here's the story, and we just talked about it. But what I want to talk about is Elijah's prayer. Because you've got to remember, God said he's just like you and me. But yet, he prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years, and it didn't rain. And then he said, get all your people, I'll get myself. And we'll go to battle. Now, could you imagine after they prayed to their God and nothing happened, now he's standing up there about to pray to his God. Do you realize if that prayer was not answered, what was going to happen to him? You know, he had fear in his heart. He must have been nervous. Oh, I so hope you listen to God because I know they think God wasn't listening. But yet, in spite of what he might have looked like, he trusted God and prayed his prayer. Now, I got four points for us today about prayer. If we're not all participating, it's going to be five or six. So I would just say, let's go with four for now. Point number one about your prayer life, because we're trying to stretch your prayer life now. Point number one, he prayed with his head between his knees. Look in verse 42. It said, So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. You know, I read this, and then I said to myself, I said, Self, let's do this. I got down, crossed my legs. It just wasn't happening, y'all. I ain't gonna lie. I tried to put my head down there, and a whole bunch of stuff stopped me. I said, you know what, let me get on my knees and let me just bend over and pray. And I tried that, and my back said, what you doing? And I tried to, and I had to hold my breath because I just couldn't even pray because bend over like, I'm 260 pounds. I bent over like that. I wasn't breathing at all. I was like, oh, God, help me. Jesus. It was very uncomfortable. And I'm like, you know what? That's exactly why Elijah put his head between his knees and prayed. Because it was uncomfortable. How many times do we pray, and in our prayer, our mind starts drifting off? 
God help me to do the best I can because I know next month I got to help pay my daughter's tuition. But when I was in college, I had all my stuff paid for for free. I used to go and we used to eat for free and I get all my books for free. And then I was playing and then the, one, actually one of the guys I used to play with just got arrested the other day. And then he got arrested for something. He's like a multi-millionaire. This is my prayer. I started out real good. Then I ended up way off in Kansas somewhere praying for somebody. I just took y'all with me on that journey. We're in church. Y'all didn't realize. We all just went on the journey. How many times did we pray and get distracted by cell phone? Mama, mama, daddy, daddy, I need something. How many times we get distracted in our minds? Oh, it's going to rain. How am I going to get on the bus? I hope the bus ain't running late. Is even the bus running today? What's the train stop? We start thinking about all this other stuff. But Elijah knew that his prayer was so important to his mission that he would make himself uncomfortable so he could stay focused. We want to have a nice comfy couch, chair, or we sitting down, make sure we relax and we can pray. All that's doing sometimes is let you drift off and be distracted. Elijah said, I'm putting my head between my knees because this is way too important for me to drift off and think about something else. I got to stay focused on what God wants me to do. He didn't get distracted. Prayer was the tool God had given him to fulfill his mission. Guys, you realize God has given you the tool of prayer to fulfill your mission? But many times we are so distracted. Our own distractions. That we're not fulfilling our mission through prayer. Without this prayer, the rain wasn't coming down. Now, could God have done it on his own? Absolutely. But yet, he gave Elijah the power to do it. Just like he gives us the power to do things through prayer. And the reason it's not happening is because we're not praying. Or when we're praying, we're so distracted with all these other things we got to do. What made him a man of effective prayer was he did not let himself get distracted. Even to the point where if it was going to be uncomfortable for him to get God's mission done, he would do it. The first point I wanted you to see is that he prayed with his head between his knees. I'm not talking about just on your knees. He prayed uncomfortable. Now, I don't want y'all going home and say, the preacher told me to do this, and then you pass out, 911 coming, and everybody, I'm getting lawsuits and tweet and twat and all that stuff about me. I'm not saying do all that. But what I'm telling you is we can't just have a comfortable prayer life. Praying on the way to the car, on the way to the bus, or in the shower. You've got to have an uncomfortable prayer life to be on God's mission field. The second thing about his prayer was this. He prayed again and again. Look at what it says in verse 43. Go back and look at the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Seven times Elijah told him to go back. Why? Because the power in making it rain depended upon his prayer. But see, a serious prayer often takes more than one or two times on our knees. Elijah prayed the first time, sent his servant, nothing happened. 
She said, well, go back again. Nothing happened. I'm praying again. Go back. Nothing happened. I'm praying again. So seven times he sent him back. And on the seventh time, there was a cloud as small as a man's hand. Elijah said, my prayers are faithful. It worked. Now, often compare prayer to a man who has a boulder in his backyard. Stay with me. He lives in a town, so blowing the rock up isn't much of an option. It tends to annoy people when you use dynamite in your neighborhood. He doesn't have the money to have it hauled away. So what does he do? He gets a sledgehammer, and he begins to hammer away at the rock. He strikes it once, twice, ten times, twenty times, and on the hundredth blow, the rock splits. Now, here's the question. Which blow cracked the rock? All of them did. The first, the twentieth, the fiftieth, the hundredth, all of them cracked the rock. It's the same way with prayer. Too often, we give up when we don't get the answer in the first or second strike. Not realizing, yeah, you already got your prayer answered, but God wants you to keep praying. He cracked the rock way before that hundredth one and it split open. But yet, he had to keep going after it. Look over in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversaries. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, he said, self, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge said. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I will tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What is it saying here? It's saying you need to continue to pray. I've been praying for my kids who went astray for, for months now. You know what? You need to do it for years, however long it takes. I've been praying for my husband or my wife to change. Pray for them, but also pray for you because you got to change some things. It ain't all them. But don't stop praying. We got to keep praying for things. Just because you don't see that cloud of rain coming on the first, second, third, fourth time, don't stop. You have to keep praying again and again and again. And it doesn't hurt. Ask other people to pray to help you out. But we have got to keep praying. That's what Elijah did. The third thing, point number three. Specific prayer. Elijah prayed specifically. Are you sure? Yeah. What did he pray for? Rain. It says that we know he prayed for rain. Very clear. You know, I often find myself praying like this. God, please bless Corey. Please bless Pedro. Be with the team. Be with the campus. What is that saying? 
I mean, that's just so general. Be with them. That was answered. He is with them. I mean, it's like sometimes we're not specific in our prayers. Think about it. Elijah didn't say, God bless Israel. God help out Israel. No. He said, rain. It was that specific. If we're not clear, how are we going to know if God answers our prayers or not? Sometimes it's so general because we're scared to get specific. You know, in my background, part Indian, Native American Indian. And we don't, hey, funny, Eric. Don't mess with me, boy. But the thing about it is that they don't grow a lot of facial hair. I prayed for 40 something years for a mustache. And I still can't get <laughs> what I'm looking for. But I'm still praying about it. It's going to happen eventually. And if it don't, I'm getting a new body in heaven anyway. But the fact is, sometimes we pray for stuff, and we got to get more specific, guys. Oh, God, give me a husband. Yeah, but what kind of husband are you looking for? You got to be careful what you're asking for. Some of y'all wake up with Freddy Krueger land over there. You're like, God, you know what I meant. I know what you said. God changed my husband. I wasn't going there, Valerie. But, oh, my bad, Pam. Change him into what, a frog? What do you mean, change my husband? We got to get specific in our prayers, guys. Okay. Fourthly and finally, make him awesome? Huh? That's what you Fourthly, about his prayer. He had a faithful prayer. Faithful prayer. Switch over in James chapter 1, verse 4. James chapter 1, verse 4. Why y'all let me come up here without my glass? You see how I blame y'all? Okay. Perseverance must finish his work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. You remember at the start of the sermon I mentioned that 85% of people in America pray? But 25% don't believe those prayers will be answered. I don't know about you, but I, I've doubted God at times. There's all kind of people in the Bible that doubted at times. Abraham doubted. Sarah doubted and even laughed. Moses doubted. Even some of Jesus' disciples doubted. Even the most seasoned Christians can find it hard to avoid doubt. It happens at times. But see, the issue isn't doubt. It's what you're going to do when you doubt. How do you handle the situation? It's just like if somebody cusses you out. How do you handle that? It's not that, okay, 
you shouldn't have did that. I'm a Christian. Well, it's going to happen living in New York. But how do you respond is the real issue. My husband doesn't respect me. How you respond to his disrespect is the issue. Look at Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 21. He was a man whose, whose son was uh, demon-possessed. And he tried to get some help, but the disciples couldn't do what they needed to do. So in verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't say, you know what? You have no faith. Get away from me. I ain't helping you or your boy. He didn't respond like that to the man. The man said, you know what? I do believe, but just help me to overcome my unbelief. You know, God respects that kind of honesty. And he expects that kind of faith in our prayers. So what I mean by that, I wonder at times if we pray, and this is what God hears. I have this going on, God, but I'm not going to pray for it. You know what? I am going to pray for it anyway, because I know I should. Or God, you know what? If, if, if this is your will and if you have time, could you uh, take care of this situation for me? It's kind of like sometimes we pray and we give God an out. As if we're going to hurt his feelings. Or, you know, if it don't happen, it's cool with me, though, God. We're still tight. You know what I'm saying? You know, I'm going to get up there. We're still good. But in case, you know, God doesn't need our help. And if we believe God's going to do what's in accordance to his will anyway, why don't we pray like that? But instead, it's kind of questioning God. Questioning if this should happen. Or when is it possible? You know, you got time. Could you... Guys, we got to pray righteous, powerful prayer. What does that mean? You need to pray it and then act like it already was fulfilled. It already happened. We pray for God to give us strength, then walk away strong. We pray for God to give us courage, walk away courageous from your prayer. We're praying for things. Do we walk away from those prayers as if not only did he hear it, but he already answered it? Well, nothing happened that day because you got to keep going. That's just the beginning of that rock splitting. You keep being courageous. You keep doing it. And when that time comes for you to face, you've already lived courageous enough to face those issues. Here's the thing. We've got to pray, and sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. But we need to be uncomfortable in our prayers. You can't just pray those little, easy, new Christian prayers. God, save the world, heal the world, make it a better place for you and me and the entire human race. There are people dying. We got to get back to those prayers of God. Let me meet somebody on Wednesday that I can invite to church and they become a Christian. 
We used to have those prayers all the time. Those prayers went from let me invite them on Wednesday to come to church and say the Bible to God. Let me meet somebody this year. God, before I die, let me take somebody to heaven with me. We went from right there at the door to way down yonder. We got to get back to prayers that are a little bit uncomfortable. Prayers that make you think, is this prideful? Is this hot? Am I being prideful by asking God to give me somebody with Nike shoes on on Thursday so I can invite the church and they can come to Devo with me on Friday? Is that prideful? That ain't prideful. That's a bold prayer. Because after you pray, are you going to be looking for that person in those Nike shoes? They may be walking right on by you, but are you going to say something? We got to make sure our prayers are uncomfortable. Not only that, but we got to pray again and again. Guys, we can't just pray once and call it quits. God didn't answer it, so let me move on. You know what? We got to be like the persistent widow. You know what? I wish this boy would leave me alone. Hector, I'm going to give you a girlfriend. Just relax. And look what happened. Guys, we got to pray these kind of prayers. We also got to realize, you know what? We got to be specific in our prayers. God specifically helped me. I talked about this to my, my youngest daughter because she would pray in the car and away to school all the time. I said, you know, baby, you got to be specific. You need to pray for help in your history class. Help your grades in your history class. Help you not get distracted in math class. you got to get more specific than God give us a great day. It's a great day just because you're alive. Let's get specific. And then fourthly, we got to understand at the same time, you know what? We need to be faithful in our prayers. You pray it, and then you live as if it's already answered. Guys, the only way for us to end this sermon is in prayer. I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to be dismissed, but I want to encourage us to take our prayer life, stretch your prayer life. Not that your prayer life may be bad. It may be great, but you need to stretch it further than wherever it is already. Amen? Let's go to God. God Almighty, thank you so much for this day. I do pray that each of us will walk away different than how we walked in that we will make decisions about our prayer life, that I will make decisions about my prayer life, that I'm going to step up my prayer life, stretch it where I haven't stretched it before. God, many of us read and love to read, but we don't pray as much as we read. God, I know this is a communication. You talk to us through the Bible. We talk to you through prayer. And I pray that we will have a two-way communication and not just a one-way street. God, thank you so much for all the many blessings you have given us. And I do pray that we can walk away more focused on our prayer life and how we walk in. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are dismissed. Have a great week. To God be the glory.